Hello, Loyal Journey to Midwifery podcast listeners. On this episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Amber Price. If you haven't heard her name, she's pretty iconic in the midwifery world. She has a non-traditional career path with tons of inspiring words and empowerment and has made system changes that we can learn to implement in our careers. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you could take a few minutes and leave a review, that would be really helpful. And I love to see comments. It keeps me motivated and excited to keep doing these episodes. So I hope you enjoy. Every woman has a birth story to tell. This podcast is our birth story. The birth story of how each of us became midwives. Our journey to midwifery. I'm your host, Amber Wilson, a doctor midwife. And each episode, I'll take you on another journey to hear the stories of midwives all across the globe. Listen to each tell the story of their personal journey. Listen to the words of how each was birthed into the field of midwifery and listen to the stories of trials and tribulations along the way and the love and passion each holds for midwifery. Okay, today on our podcast, we have somebody I'm so excited to have an interview with. It's Dr. Amber Price. So Amber, give us a little intro on yourself. Well, thanks for having me on your podcast. Um, I am probably the least traditional midwife that you'll have on your podcast. Um, I started about 31 years ago as a medical assistant um, and then worked my way up through nursing, um, worked as a labor and delivery nurse and a NICU nurse and a postpartum nurse, a peds nurse, and eventually became a certified nurse midwife with a passion for rural health. Um, so I went, worked in New Zealand. Um, I worked in rural health settings and birth centers and at home. I'm originally from Holland, so that was really closely jiving with my um, culture. The culture I grew up in was really supportive of out-of-hospital birth. Um, but over the years, I um, really fell in love with building infrastructures for women and being um, directly responsible for their outcome and bigger healthcare system to make that happen. Um, and now I am the chief operating officer of a children's hospital and a women's hospital, um, and that is now where my love and passion is. It's an in infrastructure. It's in being able to impact the experience and outcome um, of all women of childbearing age um, and all families who are going through healthcare um, crises with themselves or their children. And I have been clinically practicing all along during that time. And um, that is still a passion. One-on-one care is great, but there's great satisfaction in being able to impact the outcomes of hundreds of thousands of women um, in a given year as well. And so this is where I've landed with my midwifery crew. It is so cool and just inspiring that a midwife is in a position that you're in. They can make such, we all feel like we make changes every day, just small little changes, but to be in a position to make such huge changes is really inspiring. So can you go back, way back, and share <laughs> why? I didn't mean it that way, but share a little bit about why you went into specifically midwifery. Well, my mother, really, it starts with my mother. Um, my mother was a Holocaust survivor. She was born during World War II in Holland. Um, she developed breast cancer when I was a young teenager, 
And she had a complete distrust of authority. She had a, you know, that was ingrained in her from the time she was little herself. And when she discovered she had breast cancer and went into the hospital, she was treated with, you know, some paternalism of why didn't you come sooner and you should have done this and we want you to do X, Y, Z. And she felt um, unheard. She felt unsupported. She was afraid of the healthcare system. And so she decided to cure her own breast cancer, never went back to the hospital after she was diagnosed and died a very difficult, lonely, painful death at home that took several years that I witnessed. And so by the time I was 16 and my mother died, I knew that I was going to do whatever I could to be instrumental in building healthcare systems and, and a healthcare environment where women had a voice and where women felt supported and where we were really focused on that because I did not want another girl to go through the loss of her mother. And midwifery was a very natural progression for me in that because that's the care model where we spend so much time one-on-one -on -one individualizing care, um, educating, and seeing things through from beginning to end in a supportive way. So it was a really natural thing for me as I started off my career. That is exactly what we do. I agree. We do. Can you share a little bit about your education path? So it's again, you know, I didn't do it the way that most people do it. I started with a an associate's degree in medical assisting, um, then got a bachelor's degree in behavioral science, then got a bachelor's degree in nursing, then moved on to a master's degree in midwifery um, from the University of Cincinnati, and then got a postgraduate certificate in women's health from the University of Cincinnati. Um, and then moved on to a doctorate in executive leadership with a focus on uh, change management. I bet you your bachelor degree in behavioral science has helped a ton. Yes, that, you know, I got that as my first bachelor's degree right around 1999. Um, and that is phenomenal because you learn how people, how and why people behave and how they make decisions. And it teaches you crucial conversation. Um, and that's really helped me in my career as an administrator. Mm -hmm. And I would say as you've risen up in your career, um, competing against men, having that background, I would imagine it's been very helpful to stand up and speak up. And Do you think? Yeah, I mean, gender is an issue in birth, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of the issues that we see in birth today sit in gender, particularly in the U.S where women are not encouraged to speak up or be strong or where, you know, being very vocal and firm about what you want is not always rewarded. Um, so that as a midwife actually makes it easier because as a midwife, you're advocating for your patients every day. That becomes second nature. Mm -hmm. And in that process, you also learn um, just to advocate on, on a larger scale. And for me, that was not the, the most difficult thing as I progressed through because I know why I get up every day. I know that I get to impact the outcomes of mothers and babies, and so that's a no-brainer for me. I fit very easily into this um, senior leadership position with men. Um, I am considered an expert on the care of women and children, and I am respected as such. Um, and so that has not been too big of an issue for me. And I love that you own that. You are an expert. I think that's yeah. for us to recognize yeah. what we're you know, doing. For 31 years, I, it's been really clear to me what's important to women and children. And so it's not just about doing that one-on-one. -on -one. You can translate that into the entire healthcare system, the corporate mm -hmm. system, because it translates in growth and it translates in great experience scores. And 
So being able to implement the things that we all know in our career work really great for women are also important to know for healthcare systems. They are a win-win. And that's a strength we have. We are experts on knowing what women really want. And so, you know, in my case, I use that in order to build healthcare systems that are supportive of women and that are also successful um, because we are doing all those things that are innovative, that are important to the people we take care of. Um, I'd like to ask you some personal questions about how you balance family and things along the way as well, you've gone through this. <laughs> I didn't, you know, like everybody else. So my, my children learned how to microwave by the time, you know, they were three years old. And that's what many midwives will tell you is your children become independent. Um, they become fierce advocates for women along the way as well because they see the sacrifices that we make, not just that we jump up and go all the time, but that, you know, we stay up until three o'clock in the morning to continue our education. And so it's, I've created two kids who are fierce advocates um, who give a lot of their time to women. One is women, one of my daughters, and the other one is fierce advocate for children um, and is an educator. So translating to living your purpose and that's contagious. Um, my family was very supportive, very fortunate that my husband was very supportive along the way and understood that this was a passion that uh, we were going to share as a family. Anytime there's an opportunity to volunteer, my whole family shows up. And so this is a passion that we've developed together. I've been married 31 years to the same person and he's still my biggest fan. Um, and so this is just something that we've decided to embrace as a group. And even if it meant if I wasn't home weeks at a time, um, we just made it work. Oh, I love that. That's so neat. Um, so this may not be relevant anymore, but how did you finance your, in particular, your graduate education? Well, I took out student loans at the time. Um, and I actually just now, three months ago, paid off my student loans. Congratulations. Um, and I'm old. So, you know, so it took me, you know, a total of 30 years to get all my education and pay it off. Um, and so, you know, that's how I did it. Even my doctor was 100% on student loans. I did work as a nurse at the time. So um, through all of my degrees, I worked full time. So mm -hmm. I was not able to take the luxury of taking a break, even with children. I just figured it out, worked at night, so I could be home during the day, and, um, and did the best I could, like, we, like most people do, um, yes. who have a strong passion for midwifery. It's not something we do for money. It's something we do for passion. Um, and for me, that was worth it, fine. And you know, good news is, in the end, you will pay it off. There's an end in sight, so it will happen. That is very good news for those getting their first bill. Mm -hmm. So after you graduated, can you share a little bit about where your career went? What was your first job? Where you went from there? You have a unique yeah. story. So I was, um, I was disillusioned with the American healthcare system. Um, by the end of my education, I was trained in a military hospital in the U.S., and it's not what I thought birth was at all. It's not the birth that um, I, I had with my children or my own philosophy. Um, and so I really wanted to go do something different. So I moved to New Zealand, and my first job right as I graduated was in New Zealand. And I spent time in rural communities. I worked with the Maori population, did births on, out on the birth stations and learned a completely rural, independent um, care model, which was the opposite. And I really learned to trust my instincts. I learned to trust that midwives do know um, what's, what's best and that midwives can work in a system where they are the primary caregivers for women, 
where physicians are in a backup or support role, which is how New Zealand is set up. And so I called my husband and I said, we're all moving to New Zealand. Like I'm never coming home. So, cause I disappeared for four months and just said, I'm, I'm gone. And my children refer to that as the dark ages. They ate chicken nuggets, pizza and rotation. Oh. The whole time I was gone. Um, but I just said, this is it. Like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I loved rural health. I loved the autonomous system. And right as I was making that decision, I was contacted um, to come back to Virginia. Because at the time, we were building rural access sites. There were pilot sites with the state health commissioner in Virginia. And they were looking for a rural midwife who's not afraid to work 90 miles, 100 miles from a hospital. And was willing to come back and set up those infrastructures. So I came back and started building a birth center um, with my team and then ended up um, seeing that through, building innovative spaces, putting laundry mats in there for people to come do their laundry while they got care because many people didn't have well water, right? This is rural America where people don't have resources. And that's where I immediately fell in love with building infrastructure, which is what got me in the end to take an administrative position. Um, but so, yeah, my first job was away from America in a different culture, really kind of figuring out who I was as a midwife and then staying true to that, coming back to the U.S. and knowing what's important. How difficult was that process to get overseas? Well, it was very difficult. I think they had several hundred applicants for that position. And I called my father and I said, I need a ticket to New Zealand. And he cashed in his frequent flyer points and got me a ticket. And I called them and said, I'm arriving in three days. And they said, okay, we'll be there to pick you up. So didn't waste any time applying i just told them i'm ready to go and here's my ticket come pick me up and i got the job wow they knew you were motivated i guess just i made it easy for them um you know and i knew i was qualified and i knew i was the kind of candidate they were looking for so um it, it's a lengthy process of course for them then it's risky for them to interview someone who then may not be able to get a ticket and so i did it in reverse um mm -hmm. and i tend to do lots of things in reverse and i just bought a ticket and called them and then i went and so it was very quick. So is that first birth center you built in Virginia still up and running? Well, the building is still there. The birth center itself is closed. We lost our funding. And part of the problem was that um, when we put our census data together, um, we thought we knew who our customers would be. And 65% of the women we ended up taking care of did not exist on the census report. They were migrant laborers, migrant workers in the community. And of course, we, we stayed laden at everything we could, and we didn't, you know, always charge them. And so it's very difficult to run a profitable um, enterprise when you're giving free care. And mm -hmm. the health department in that area um, did not see um, people who um, didn't have social security numbers. So we were the only caregivers, and we were not going to say no. And so in the end, it was not financially sustainable. Mm -hmm. And where did you go on from there? Well, from there, I went into academia. So I moved into an academic um, center where I really got heavily vested in grant work um, in working with large organizations to improve care, got into research, build a large midwifery practice with a team that was a phenomenal team to work with. Um, started getting into things like um, centering pregnancy, infrastructure build, working with health departments, um, and trying to optimize care in rural areas as well. Um, and I did, and then resident education. So medical student and resident education, which is still a huge passion. I love to educate. And from there, I got recruited into the company that I'm currently working for. And how long have you been doing that? 
So this is my fifth year with this company, um, and it's been a fifth year of straight uh, leadership. No practice anymore. Oh, yes, I'm practicing, but it's always on time, mm-hmm. and it's sporadic, um, and it's just enough to keep up my skills. Yeah. Well, that's nice. You still get yeah. to practice at the roots, right? Yes. So, and which they're fine with, but my primary role is to midwife everybody who works in this hospital and make sure that everyone's supported so they can provide great care to every woman who walks in the door. Mm-hmm. It must feel so good to just see changes that you've made in each place that you've gone. Well, you know, I don't make the changes. It's the team, right? It's the culture mm-hmm. that changed and it's the people you work with who implement that care. I'm not at the bedside, but mm-hmm. I certainly set the bar and I set the vision. Um, and the bar is high. It's about as high as you can set it for people's experiences and outcomes. Um, and I do drive change through really specific change initiatives that you learn in school. Because anybody can go to school, get a doctorate, and learn these principles of change. Um, and I, I know that you, you know, you, you asked me earlier to talk about strengths, and I think that's one of my strengths is that I love leadership, um, that I love engaging people in a team to always do the right thing for our patients. Um, and so that's how I do it. But I'm not personally at the bedside implementing this. I lead teams that drivers are. Mm-hmm. If you could name, I know you said strength, but if you could name one characteristic that you have that has gotten you here today, do you have one? Well, it's 100% determination. I mean, I am determined to, to have an impact um, on a greater level than one-on-one. And um, that's a drive that I've had you know, for 30 years, you know, really feeling like we as midwives are onto something and we understand this innately and that, you know, we have, we can have a large impact um, in healthcare in the U.S. today. We just have to find a way for us to do that. And it's not always one-on-one bedside. Sometimes you have to step away from the bedside and use those strengths to drive systems change. And that's the hardest thing for midwives to do is to walk away from the perineum. I just did a um, panel with Jenny Joseph who says the same thing. I have to step away from the perineum and know that just me being at the birth is not what's going to drive that outcome. It's me, you know, messaging and, you know, setting the expectations and working with teams to facilitate great births and great outcomes where we as Midwest can have a phenomenal impact. It's not about the one-on-one relationship. And in fact, we've learned that in the systems that I've built where we built midwifery is that even when you never see a midwife, your entire pregnancy, you walk in the door and you have a midwife for your birth, the outcomes are almost exactly the same as if somebody's seen a midwife their entire pregnancy. So it's the intrapartum care with a midwife that still drives the outcome. And we just do things differently. We approach labor and birth differently. We approach triage differently. Um, and the way we do it drives a more normal birth outcome. That is a really interesting statistic. I did not know that. It's hard for midwives to hear. You know, many midwives believe it's my relationship with my patient, the fact that I was there, the fact that I was the one man in labor. Mm-hmm. You know, you somehow start to tell yourself that you were instrumental, but you weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that whoever is with you in the moment, the culture of that person, the belief system of that person is what drives your outcome. And if you've never met a midwife before and you get a midwife for your labor, they're going to have a great outcome regardless of who did your in. It does make sense. It does. And if you know that, and if you can walk away from that, that belief that you have to be there every step of the way, you'll have a much greater impact um, because you can reach a lot more women that way and not, you know, 
do that. Now, if you have a relationship with the person at your birth, of course it's even better. I'm mm-hmm. not negating the relationship, but it's the practice model and the culture and the philosophical belief that has a greater impact on the birth outcome. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. So I feel like you shared a lot about why you still do what you do today. Do you have any, how do you think it's changed more over time as your career has gone from why you started? You, do you mean midwifery as a profession? Yes, being a midwife. Well, I think we're, we're not much further along than we were 51 years ago, right? When we first started seeing collaborative practice models nurse midwives. There's still a lack of understanding of what midwives are. We're not seeing an increase in midwifery births. We're still doing less than 10% of births in this country. Um, women don't know what midwives are. There's a stigma associated with midwifery that was instilled, you know, from the time Dr. DeLee wrote that birth is a pathology and birth really started to move into the hospital system. We've not made that much progress. And it's really difficult for me to say that. But part of the reason we've not made that much progress, um, and I really, there are two things that I usually name. One is that we tend to push ourselves corner of alternative or different, when actually what we do is the most normal possible thing that birth could be. And so we do ourselves a disservice when we push ourselves into a kind of a radical corner, which is not where we need to be. We need to be right at the forefront of birth because we're practicing normal birth. We should be integrated in the system. Um, and I think the second reason is um, that midwives don't know they have power. Right, so they tend to come in. They're very focused on their one-on-one relationships with their patients, and when they try to change something, it tends to be kind of as a very small voice within a big system. But if you approach midwifery as a systems approach and you get involved in committees and you learn to work collaboratively, and you learn to develop a voice and you start speaking and you volunteer, you know, to share your knowledge and you keep your doors open and invite physicians in so they can learn, um, all those things that we tend to not really do. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to move forward until we open the door and become transparent and make a commitment to working together. It will always stay kind of in the dark and not well recognized. So at the ground level, we need to speak up and... We have to open our door. I mean, we tend to be protective of our birth spaces. Mm-hmm. And we do everything to not bring in what we consider potentially negative energy in the room. But if nobody knows what we do, and if nobody acutely understands that what we do is not obstetrics, that's a whole entire different field, um, you don't open those, those doors and you don't build those relationships moving forward. The best thing you can do as a midwife is become transparent and, uh, and invite physicians. And that's a difficult thing to do. It is. And I've never thought of that, but that is a very powerful point. They don't know. What we do happens behind closed doors and it's attributed to luck. Yeah, guys are lucky, or your patient's easy, or your patient's motivated. When in fact, we all know we get the most difficult, challenging patients. We get primates, long lists of birth wishes. We get the VBAC patients. We get people who've experienced trauma. Um, we have the people who've been told that they can't have a normal birth. Those babies are too big. Um, you know who we care. Mm-hmm. And because we don't share that, and because we don't open our doors, it's attributed to it must have been an easy birth. We have to be more transparent, and we have to. That's, you have presented many challenges that we have to move yeah. forward, really, so, even myself personally. When I build midwifery practices, I hire midwives who are very comfortable having crucial conversations, lots mm-hmm. and lots of years of experience um, as first people who understand that it's okay 
that people don't agree with you and who aren't easily flustered and who leave their doors open so everyone can see what they do and everyone can learn. And mm-hmm. usually it goes pretty quickly if you do that. But if we don't collaborate and if we're not transparent and if we don't see ourselves in the same continuum, um, we're, we're not really going to bridge the divides within the healthcare system. And pulling birth out of the hospital is not the solution, right? If we just all go hide in a corner somewhere, that is not what consumers are looking for, guys. Um, our consumers want it all. They want perfect birth, one-on-one care, but they want access to everything they can get their hands on. Um, we just need to make sure that we are reshaping the healthcare system and that we're active in that and not passive. Do you think some of these hospitals that are changing their birth center, like in the hospital, changing them to birth suites and, and things of that nature, do you think that is leading towards what the consumer wants? I don't think so. I don't think women care what the birth room looks like. I think women care they have a voice. And mm-hmm. so the work that I'm doing from my end is really more about patient-centered care and teaching the principles of what it means to put someone central to decision-making. That's a foreign concept for hospitals. Mm-hmm. But here's what happens in the rest of the healthcare system. If you come in for a knee replacement or a, a cardiac valve replacement, we do that same procedure over and over and over, and each time we get better at it. We know which imaging works best, how to schedule that surgery, how to perform the surgery interoperatively, how to improve the experience, what pain medicine works best when you go home. That does not translate into birth. Birth is always an individualized care experience. You have to start over from the beginning. And so for birth, you need to have a basket that's full of everything, and you only pull out what that particular woman needs. She could be low risk, she could be high risk, she can have specific birth wishes, you have to be ready for all of it. But hospital administrators see every procedure the way they see a knee replacement. It's something you do over and over until you do it really well, and that pushes everybody into a standardized similar birth experience, which is where we have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And so to undo that, it's to re-individualize the care, which really ties patients to your healthcare system because everyone feels good when they're the care decision maker. So it means re-educating, it means adding amenities, it means you know, being able to have crucial conversations and have pathways when people refuse things that are potentially dangerous to refuse, but to be able to accommodate it. Mm-hmm. So that's what the future is. And the hospitals that are really putting the patients central, they don't have to build fancy birth suites because the patients come for how to treat it, not for how pretty your rooms are. So I'm curious, I have to go back to when you stated that birth outcomes are the same, even if antenatally they weren't cared for by a midwife. Right. But if we're talking about um, teaching them to have a voice and empowerment, how, just from my objective point of view, how are they able to do that just birth and not hearing it and having 10 minute appointments throughout well, their if they If they have that prenatal care and end up with a physician, they're going to struggle having a voice. But if they have that prenatal care and end up with a midwife, the midwife brings in the voice. So it's the midwife who's driving the discussion in the delivery room, right? Or the birth room, mm-hmm. wherever you are. So mm-hmm. it's the birth attendant, again, who sets the standard for how communication happens. And midwives put women central to decision-making. Mm-hmm. So if you are primed to not have a voice, if you don't have a relationship at all, if you don't know what to do and you end up with somebody who thinks that's great, you're not going to have an empowering birth experience. Mm-hmm. The midwife, you'll always have one because that's what we do. Mm-hmm. We initiate that conversation. What is important to you? Are you okay right now? May I touch you? Mm-hmm. You look afraid. Can you talk to me and tell me what you're worried about? Do you need time? 
we are always putting patients central to decision making with these really strong messages that you're driving something here we need to understand what's important which is why the outcomes remain similar yeah people are prepped to have those conversations yeah that makes sense that was a great answer that's exactly what i was asking so if you met somebody that said hey dr price i want to be a midwife what would be your advice today for them well welcome and we need you um and there's room for you no matter what your you know ultimate philosophy is home hospital whatever it is we need you everywhere um and then my advice to the community as a whole is when people reach out to you for advice in your messenger or your email and they just have a question I see a lot of responses right now on social media of my time is valuable. I'm not giving out free advice. Give out free advice. Take mm-hmm. five minutes and support somebody who's on that journey. You know, I never turn down somebody who reaches out to me and has a question. If I can't answer it, I'll direct them to a different resource. But we need to grow the next midwifery workforce, and we all need to be kind and supportive to those who come after us. And I do not charge for my time. This is an important thing that we should all be vested in. Um, and yes, it can be annoying to hand out lots of free advice at 11 o'clock at night, but it's absolutely worth it if we're all here for the same goal, which is to improve birth in the United States. And that's my goal here, is to share what it's like to be a midwife. This is free. Can be hypocrite. Yeah, find you out have what's to be part of the solution. Yeah, and, right. you know, I appreciate your time and guidance, too, to give this, given. you want to be a midwife. I think it's invaluable, definitely. So thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy woman. Um, do you want to share your social media site? So yeah. While you're know, one, one of the things like, you know, lots of people say, do you have a book? Yes, there's a book. And it's called Nobody Told Me About That. Mm-hmm. It's available on Amazon. Um, the editor is Ginger Breedlove, who was, of course, mm-hmm. the president of the American College of Nurse Midwives. Um, but she got 12 of us together to write about what we know best. And my chapter is around voice and how you navigate the healthcare and how you find that. Um, so please go check that out. Mm-hmm. And then my other affiliation is with Birthpedia. And Birthpedia is actually a brand new growing network um, where we're really taking experts to give really brief um, messages via video um, so that women have quick information at their fingertips that's accurate and not biased. And the way we do that is if you have a question about home birth, a home birth midwife answers the question. If you're high risk and you need MFM advice, it's an MFM who answers those questions. So you're going to be guided by the people who do um, the things that align with your own philosophy. Um, and we're excited about that. So I'd love to direct people to birthpedia.net to go check us out. Birth, spell Pedia. out. Yeah, birth, P-E-D-I-A.net. And is that a free? It's, like, it's free. Right now it's free. We're still loading videos. Um, and so we think that it will remain free and completely open until the new year. So take advantage of it while you can. Yeah, that is really, really great. I didn't know about that. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. All right, Amber. Thank you. You're welcome. As I've spent the last week reflecting on my interview with Dr. Price, I am left with many humbling and reflective thoughts. Dr. Price has said so many things, so many takeaway messages that I know myself and probably many other midwives really will have to think about and move forward on how we can make changes in our very flawed system. One takeaway message that I've 
reflected on this past week was to open my door. I am definitely one that closes the door, protects the birth space, shuts out negative energy because I want that mom to have the best experience. But how do I open the door, still give her a good experience, and let others see what a normal birth looks like? So that has been my challenge this week, and I actually encountered a birth where I had to do that and talk to myself and remind myself that this is still going to be a good experience for mom, but others needed to see it too. And importantly, she was okay with the others that were in the room. So I hope that you got as much fulfillment out of this interview as I did. It wasn't the traditional story. Definitely, Dr. Price's journey has gone in a very different path than many of ours has, but I think it is so inspiring and gives us a lot to move forward with. If you want to interview with me, please reach out to me at journeytomidwiferypodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at midwife.mommy. And if you like this episode, please check out my others and please take a minute to leave a top review on your podcast platform of choice. Thank you so much. Until next time. Thank you.